and welcome to the Q York podcast, brought to you from our local church in the beautiful city of York in the UK. The message you're about to hear is from one of our services, which also feature great live music and relevant movie clips. These can all be found on our blog, so to make sure you're getting the full experience, feel free to head over to qyork.co.uk and select blog to find the relevant content. There's also a huge selection of talks and live music videos on our media page, as well as a donate button if you'd like to show your appreciation and enable us to keep producing free content like this. Finally, to stay up to date on new blogs and events at Q, you can sign up for emails by filling in your name and email address at the bottom of any page on the website. But right now, it's time for the message. Good morning, everyone. I hope you are well. Um, that video was about an idiom, and I'm sure that it's one that you have all heard. And it's, that's definitely been the things that have been very visible to me this week, where I've thought, yes, the shoe is most definitely on the other foot with some things. Now, there's another idiom about shoes, which is before you judge a man walk a mile in his shoes. And you'll have heard that one before about how before we are quick to decide who someone else is, we must understand their experience, their challenge, their thought process. I prefer the Billy Connolly version, which is before you judge a man, walk a mile in his shoes. After that, who cares? He's a mile away and you've got his shoes. Um, now, there's another parable that Jesus talked about to do with walking. I know there's a Allow me the loose link to shoes there. Um, that it says, if anyone forces you to go with them one mile, choose to go with them two. And let's not romanticize that one. At the time he said it to the audience he said it to, they were under Roman occupation. That was quite a big ask. And all three speak of ways of walking through life. Our comfort until the roles are reversed. Our love of judgment, often above a real effortful understanding about another person. And the challenge of Jesus' words to extend yourself beyond what you must, even to an enemy. Now, the first one was from the mid-1800s, as we saw. It's a mid-1800s metaphor about shoes. And apparently, um, it didn't used to matter which shoe you put on, because they were the same, which is really interesting, actually. Someone decided one day to change that. The second one was from a late 1800s metaphor from a Mary L. Lathrap poem published in 1895. And the original title of the poem was Judge Softly, and I loved this, later titled Walk a Mile in His Moccasins. Isn't that just so much nicer than walking a mile in his shoes? It sounds more comfortable. And of course, the last one was from 2,000 years ago because it is from the Bible and a parable. Now, I've put them alongside on purpose this morning because all three were shared in a time and a place with context. And none of them were about me or you at the time they were spoken. Yet we can reflect on all of them and learn from all of them. But does point three trump the others in terms of what I can learn because the Bible is inspired and because Jesus said it? 
Um, that's a big question. I'm not going to try and answer that in one morning. But I do propose that actually what's key is that we are a critical reader of many things with the potential to learn from all of them because actually we are presented with things all the time to read and not just on paper. We read people. We read a mood, we read the room, we read an atmosphere. And actually, the most critical thing is that we learn how to read those things critically. Now, this is the, these are features of critical reading. Examine the evidence or argument presented. Check out any influences on the evidence or the arguments. Check out the limitations of study design or focus. Examine the interpretations made and decide to what extent you are prepared to accept the author's arguments, opinions, or conclusions. Now, if that sounds really difficult, I'm going to tell you very, very factually, children start to do this aged four in school. Critical, critical reading is on the curriculum, and I have to say, young children are incredibly good at it because they don't come with the things that have become very fixed in those of us as we got older. They just look at it and ask questions and think, who said that? Why did they said that? That whole classic that children have, but why? And they're actually very good at it. We become less good at it the more firm we get in what we already think. Um, and we start to then take things at the face value as they appear to be, because actually it's the face value that we've decided is the face. This is just this, and that is just that. And we lose that curiosity that children doggedly pursue all the time, and we learn to live under what we've decided is the because they said so, or because I said so. So going back to those idioms, number one, it is true that it is very different when the shoe is on the other foot. Some of us are only comfortable where we are with the views we hold because we haven't yet experienced the other side of what we're talking about. And if we did, we would get it. And when we do, all of a sudden, we see other things that we then are like, oh. And if we're humble enough, we're then prepared to acknowledge, oh, yeah, do you remember when I was shutting you down about that thing? Yeah, I didn't quite get it. I get it now. I didn't see and I didn't understand. And so I can see now in that 1800s idiom, something in it that I can take that was for me. Not for me in particular, but definitely for me. And similarly, we should judge softly. Let's borrow a pair of moccasins. I just love that. That don't belong to us and be less judgmental. And there's something in there for us too. And obviously in the third one, you know, what Jesus spoke to his listeners at the time can still speak to us today, 2,000 years later, of how I can choose and you can choose to approach those who seem against us, those who force us to take walks we don't want to take. But none of them were written specifically for me, Jenny Byrne, in 2020. All by human writers in a time and place with an audience in mind and a context. And the level to which they were divinely inspired by each of those writers, that's a debate for the ages, isn't it? So was Jesus saying to us that for all time, that in every situation that we may be forced to carry another's burden or obligation that I must always do, double the amount that I've been asked? I have questions about that. Um, 
I want to wrestle with it, think about it, challenge it, discuss it, seek wisdom from others about it. I don't want to take that as a blanket statement because I don't think it carries through over time. There is no comfort for me now in the suffering of the extra mile because it gives me godly virtue. And if you actually read Matthew 5, he was questioning the Old Testament narrative about an eye for an eye. He was questioning the Bible of the day and proposing a new way, a new context for the now at the time. He was writing a new bit of the Bible with his words, which means the Bible was on the move. And I wonder if it still is. Right, I'll, I'll, I'll say something about that clip in a, in a few moments, but it is from a, a new series that's a parody, and it is very, very funny. Um, now, you've heard, in recent weeks, you have heard some of my story, you've heard some of the stories of the others who have been up here, and you've heard a line which has been probably more than once, which is about the story we tell ourselves. And these might be the stories we make up about our own lives, the stuff that goes on in our head, who we are, what we're worth, what we believe about ourselves, and where also we place ourselves in the stories told by others, even those told by Jesus. But are these stories that we brought to you and that we're sharing with you as valid as Bible stories for providing an opportunity to consider the application of the Christ story in a 2022 setting? This is a question I've asked myself for many months now, been asked and have been asking others, and it is a genuine question. Now, Paul wrote epistles, which is where he wrote books on him and what was going on in his life, if he was the author and all that lot, but um, a poem or other literary work in the form of a letter or series of letters. And I want to propose that we are also living epistles, but instead of letters, I can't remember the last time I wrote a letter. I tend to write an email, or I WhatsApp, text message, or occasionally I've started using voice notes. Um, I don't often video myself, but I might introduce that. And I guess my genuine question is, if Jesus was on earth in 2022, um, would he be, how would he tell his stories now? Would they be in a book? Would, the, would, they, would, he, would he have a podcast, or a video set to music, a film, or potentially a live stream? And were the parables based on situations he was seeing and who he met? And would one of us be used as an anecdote? And if so, wouldn't we like to believe we would be written up as one of the characters to be admired and mirrored? Um, we'd like to select the right moments, wouldn't we? Um, now, I'm not actually discrediting the Bible as an excellent tool for spiritual growth. I'm not doing that at all. In fact, for me, I am crediting it with having even more to say than it ever has because I get to read it critically, not passively. I don't think it is a one-time thing containing all that could ever be said about God and the divine because that's incredibly limiting and I don't believe that stands up to critical thinking. And I am not going to read it literally and I'm not going to read it in isolation because there are pictures and metaphors and symbolisms and inconsistencies and many, many things going without being said. Now, can you have that picture up of um, the iceberg, please? Um, I'm also not going to believe anyone who says they're certain about it because they're not. They're certain insofar as they have faith in their conclusions at in this point in time. They don't know. And for me, that is really freeing because we can read critically without fear. We can read to learn, not for the right answer. We can read to question, to understand with our mind, heart, soul, spirit. We can discern, discuss, change our minds, 
work out what's going on without being said, and I can read it very non-religiously. I don't have to read it every day, and I don't have to use it every time I'm on a stage at church. Now, the picture of the iceberg is actually an interesting one because um, if you think about in life, if you see it as a picture of life, most of the time we're going around our daily business and we're seeing a lot of what's going on under the surface. But underneath the surface, at any given point in life, you see there's more. <laughs> and the stuff that's going on under the surface in our lives, that's going without being said in any interaction you ever have with anyone, that's the stuff you're crashing into. And you didn't even see it coming. But that's the stuff that splits the boat, that causes the leaking, that causes the drowning sometimes. It's all the stuff going on underneath the surface. Now, the clip you saw was from um, a mockumentary. It's a parody. And the, the presenter's called Philomena. And I, I mean, it's very funny. There's about five episodes, and it's very funny because she goes through different periods of history, and she asks the most ridiculous questions. But what I love in that clip I showed you is that Philomena expresses a very um, um, credited principle in far more simple language. She accesses the same understanding as the man with the docurate, doc, docurate, docurate, certainly haven't got one because I can't even say it, doctorate, but she uses P's to express analytical thinking in bite-sized chunks. She found the words for the principle and she got the principle. She got it. She got it, and that was the key thing. And for me, I think if you get it, you get it. And if you can find a way to get it in a simpler way, sometimes that's actually incredibly helpful. Is it the best approach then to read ourselves into the Bible stories that we read when we weren't there and we're not the audience, or do we read it to get at such things as the principle? There are many, many things that are not being said when we read. The time, the place, the culture, the values, the language. And that's the stuff we will hit first because we don't see it. And it can actually sink our ship and our understanding and faith and confidence. It can sink us. There are some things that just haven't translated well as there are actually some things that there are no words for in the translation. Literally, the words don't exist to say the thing that it was saying. Now, here's just a brief example of some things that could go without being said. In the story of the prodigal son, you will probably all be very familiar with it. The angle it usually takes is there's a son, and he decides, I don't want to live at home anymore. I want the share of my inheritance now, even though you're still alive, father. I'm going to move away, and I'm going to do my own thing. Now, he does. He spends his money. The narrative is normally that he just blows it, ends up with nothing, and then realizes, oh, I'm really at the dog end of life. And you actually can't say that anymore because dogs are treated very, very well. What's an animal that's not treated well is there. Um, and he returns home. He realizes, no, it was better back home. He returns home. He acknowledges that he's made an error. He repents. He claims that, you know, he says, I'm unworthy. And the dad welcomes him lovingly and restores him, throws him a party. And it's this, this lovely picture of um, repentance and returning home. Now, the emphasis of the story... Has, as I've 
often heard it, but not always heard it, was of someone coming to their senses and coming home. But there are other ways to read it. We've had one of them here. I remember Ant speaking about the story of the two sons. There are two sons in this story. There's the older one who didn't leave home, who did the right thing faithfully, who didn't mess it up and who didn't get a party. I'm sad for that man. You might be able to tell. Um, And actually, was his leaving... Was the son's leaving a problem or was it a good idea at the time? We're not told whether or not at the time it was a good idea that he was getting up and going. It could have been the best thing to happen in that period of time. His his dad did sponsor him. Um, Now, the one who stayed is not allowed the virtue of staying, which is also very interesting. And what sort of father was he before the younger son left? Now, we know what sort of father he was on return, but what sort of father was he when they were living together? Now, you might say, but you can't say that because the Father's a picture of God. But is this an exact picture of everything God would do in any situation of this type? That's a certainty you cannot apply to this story. There was also a famine. Now, there was a study done by a theologian who's taught students in both America and Indonesia. And he found that his American students, when they were reading the story, did not even spot that there was a famine in the land. But his Indonesian students, it was one of the biggest things that they spotted because they just experienced living through a time of famine. So for them, that context was a critical part of the story, part of why the sun was so forced to go home was because the famine was devastating. And part of why the father was so pleased to have him return was because he knew his son was out there living in famine. That's a really critical context. There is so much more that can be said about this story than a rebellious son who messes up but comes home and is celebrated. And the bits of the story I find I want to hear about is what happened next. The morning after the party... Were things as lovely then, or did it all come out? The nitty-gritty of how everyone has felt during this time and the consequences that that's all going to come out the morning after the party, I find myself wanting the sequel. So after the part of the story we know about the prodigal, how did they go about living with one another again? Did the father continue to celebrate the prodigal, or did some of the pain come out after the party was over? The older brother was really challenged about his attitude. And did he respond well to that, or did his blood boil? And it took him on a trajectory of resentment that he never got past. And did the son stay, or after the famine passed, did he set off again? What happened next? The prodigal son story is not complete in that sense, but it's also not about me. I'm not a character in that story, and neither are you. But... It can be a picture, a mirror of sorts for reflections around our values, our principles, how we approach things, how we behave. And it can be a picture of God, but I think it comes with a health warning if we're going to do any of that. Is it inherent or not inherent? Is it a message in context to those people on that day or to all people for all days? Is it a message to me or to us? Is it an accurate depiction by the author and which author? There are different versions, and where are they putting their weight, and why? If we're going to read critically, it's good to explore that. Who is the person giving me the interpretation? Amongst other things, I am a 47-year-old white middle-class woman from the West. 
I have no idea how not to have that context as I speak to you this morning. Um, I can't separate myself from that and from the things that exist below the surface of my iceberg that just come because I am that. When we are ourselves, when we put ourselves literally into the story, we tend to pick the part we want to identify with the most. For example, we're always the Israelites leaving Egypt in the pursuit of God, not the Egyptians who are building our own empire. How am I the son, the older brother, the father, or the people not even worthy of being named in the story? <laughs> the peripheral ones, the nameless extras who don't even get a credit. The ones cooking the meal. And is the father a representation, a representation of God and which God? The Old Testament Yahweh was the God who wiped out everyone except Noah and his family and some animals. And I bet we would want to believe we were the ones who were Noah on the ark. Um, or is he the God that says through Jesus to walk the extra mile for your enemy? Our tendency is to hone in on what supports what we want the right to do or not do, the rules we want to play by. But the principle of reading it in contents and critically is far more enlightening and more effortful. Life is not a tamed thing. It can have the illusion of appearing so because we control so many narratives and structures in our life, but you cannot tame life. And we're not promoting freedom to be independent from control. We are promoting freedom to ride wild over untamed, undiscovered land, knowing the risks, but more afraid of sterile town life than life on the road. I am far more afraid of what I think I might be certain about than what I might not yet know. Because if I'm certain of what I see, I might forget to question the ice below the surface in my life. I sat on a train, um, I was on a lot of tubes this week because I was in London working, and um, I sat on a train this uh, a tube train. I was on my own in a tube station. It was really weird. You know how you think of it being busy? I was on my own in a tube station. And then I got on the tube and I was on my own. It was quite eerie, actually. And I sat there and I watched um, as the train pulled out of the station. And there was one opposite and I was sort of leaving it behind. And then as the train opposite, <laughs> I'm not explaining this well, as I pulled out of the station, away from the train opposite, I looked ahead of me and there was a wall and I realised I hadn't pulled out of the train station at all. The other train had. But the motion, the motion of it moving, made me, I, I thought it was me. And then I was like, oh, I've not gone anywhere at all. Um, and it really spoke to me because am I stationary or am I moving? Um, we might think we're moving when actually... Things around us are moving, but we're actually still stood facing the same wall just under the illusion that everything's moving around us. And so I really wanted to give you three ways in which I think that you could genuinely um, find that you move in life. Number one, be a critical thinker and reader. Be mindful all the time of what is going without being said. Don't be someone that reads things and comes to the first conclusion because you'll miss what's beneath the surface of the iceberg. Be someone who is critical. Not critical as in you go around criticizing everyone. That's not what it means. The definitions earlier where you have to examine, you have to consider, you have to think about interpretations and context and all the things I've explored a little with you this morning. 
The second thing is have the conversation. Invite the debates and scrutiny of your own ideas. A bit like that woman in the clip, she was having a conversation and either that man was a very good actor or he was really confused about whether to take this woman seriously. But have the conversation. If you're someone who won't invite scrutiny into your life, you will be missing things below your iceberg. I've that, I've no doubt. And the third thing is don't place yourself in the center of every story. Bible or otherwise. It's not all about you and it doesn't need to be. Remove the fear of what it says about you to hear what it says that includes you and try on all the other characters' perspectives and experiences. It will help you to move. And we want to be people that move and grow and ride over land you have not yet explored for your life and that might not be tamed, but it is well worth it. Thank you so much for listening to me. We're just going to end with a song. Thanks for listening to another Q York podcast. Now, if you've enjoyed what you've heard today, then we would love to hear from you. Feel free to drop us an email to info at qyork.co.uk and let us know who you are and where you're listening from. Don't forget there are blogs and all sorts of media to be enjoyed at qyork.co.uk which are welcome to browse at your leisure. Until next time, enjoy the quest. <laughs>